Hello, my name is Michael, and you're listening to Pharma CR. The intended audience of this program is healthcare professionals. Please contact your healthcare provider for specific advice. You're listening to another episode of Pharmacy R. My name is Stephanie, and today I'll be doing this episode alongside Michael. In today's episode, we'll be discussing New Zealand. So why New Zealand, you ask? Well, in 2015, the Pharmacare 2020 report compared Canada's drug prices to just one other country in the world, New Zealand. In 2017, The CBC Fifth Estate did an episode on how high Canadian drug prices are and compared us once again to New Zealand. In the same year, the Audit General Report on the Ontario Drug Benefit also reported that Canadian drug prices are too high. And you guessed it, the only other country that we were compared to was New Zealand. So today, let's explore why we are consistently compared to New Zealand in the context of pharmacare and drug prices. We'll also discuss if this is a valid comparison and how this comparison can impact pharmacists in Canada. First, let's try to understand how the New Zealand system works. At this point, we would like to thank those New Zealand pharmacists who talk to us to help us understand their system. Thank you. In New Zealand, they have a national pharmacare program that covers medications for all citizens. So if you get a prescription for a medication, you would go to your pharmacy and pay a $5 copay, and that's it. Regardless of the actual cost of the medication, New Zealanders pay only $5. In addition, if your family has spent $100 cumulative for the year, you will be exempt from the copayment for the rest of the year. So how are they able to achieve this? Well, New Zealand's medication management system, Pharmac, receives a yearly budget. In 2016, it was $850 million. It is then tasked with spending only this amount of money to provide the drug coverage for 3.6 million citizens. So Pharmac takes this budget and segments the funds into various categories. For example, they may decide to spend $10 million on coverage for insulin. They would then open a bidding process where any drug companies can agree to supply the New Zealand market with that particular drug for that particular price. By agreeing to sell your medication at a discount, your medication will be given a monopoly on the New Zealand market. This process is called tendering. This is, of course, a simplified explanation. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes agreements to make the budget work as well. For example, there can be cases where I'll sell this drug at this price if you cover this other drug I make. In essence, New Zealand is able to achieve the lowest drug prices in the world by making companies bid against each other for a monopoly on the New Zealand market. So now that we know how New Zealand works on a basic level, let's ask, is it fair to compare their drug prices with Canada's drug prices? Well, their system works on a fundamentally different level and we don't think it's fair to compare Canadian drug prices with U.S. prices either. 
There are a few other things to consider when making this comparison. One, New Zealand is a small country with approximately 10% of Canada's population. New Zealand relies on a small market and the only market that negotiate medications in this way. Drug companies are more likely to be able to meet Pharmax price point by selling medications that are not as popular elsewhere. If more countries were to employ tendering, the discounts on medications may not be as significant since these countries would begin competing against each other for these agreements. Two, the listed drug prices in Canada does not take into account the rebates that the government receives from drug manufacturers. In 2016, the Ontario government received $1.1 billion in rebates. That's a staggering 22.4% of what the government spent on medications. Not all drugs in New Zealand's schedule, so it's formulary, are fully subsidized. Some are partially subsidized, and let's not forget that there are those that are not subsidized at all. For example, if a patient wanted a PPI that is not on the sole subsidized product like omeprazole, the patient would have to pay out of pocket for the entire cost of the medication and not just the cost difference. Products not in the Pharmax schedule are also less likely to be in stock and may not even be available in New Zealand. So maybe we may not be able to get the same drug discounts and perhaps it's not fair to compare our current drug prices with theirs. But if their system can obtain such low drug prices, should we not be looking to adopt a similar system? Well, here are some things to consider. Due to the structure of the system, New Zealand covers way less medications, at least compared to Ontario. A consequence of this is that it may delay access to new treatments. Let's take, for example, SGLT2 inhibitors. In Ontario, they are covered and are a class of medications that are commonly dispensed. In New Zealand, however, none of these SGLT2 inhibitors are covered. And I guess this isn't too surprising considering that it is relatively new. But did you know that New Zealand is now only planning to cover Glyptins October of this year? The Ontario government has been covering them since 2008. That's a 10 year difference. Furthermore, here on Ontario, many different Glyptins are covered but in New Zealand, only one is covered. So not only is the schedule limited, but because drugs are given a monopoly, when an alternative is offered at a lower price and an agreement is made, all patients will have to switch to the current product in the schedule if they want their medications to be covered. These switches have impacted patients in the past. In 1996, Simvastatin was covered, but then switched to Fluvastatin, this was because fluvastatin had the cheapest price. This was despite the fact that simvastatin and pravastatin had better evidence from the 4S study and the WASCOP trial, respectively. Independent researchers were actually able to observe a significant increase in the frequency of thrombotic vascular events after simvastatin was replaced with fluvastatin in New Zealand. Simvastatin was eventually subsidized, but only because the company that makes brand name simvastatin struck a deal with the government. The deal was that the company would lower the prices of the medication once the patent was done, but on the condition that other generics for simvastatin were not allowed to enter the market until years later. Atorvastatin, a more potent statin, got on the schedule as well. The reason, however, is not one of evidence-based medicine, but instead of financial deals done behind the scene. The makers of brand name Atorvastatin, now Pfizer, really wanted to enter the lipid market 
and so they propose to the government that they will 1. Lower the prices of atorvastatin, 2. Have a capped budget for atorvastatin. So this meant that any cost above the set budget, the company, and not the government, would absorb the cost. And 3. They said they would do cross-subsidization, whereby they would lower not only their lipid drug atorvastatin, they would also lower their ACE inhibitor drug, salazapril. This, salazapril, also became the subsidized medication among ACE inhibitors. And so once again, patients were forced to switch between medications because as confirmed by our sources, most New Zealand prescribers write prescriptions based on what is available in the schedule. Another factor is that since the budget is set, Pharmac can be strict in terms of day supply. For example, it is stated in Pharmac's FAQ that insulin units lost to the priming of insulin is not covered. Also, patients can only receive one glucometer machine every five years. So as you can see, there are a lot of things that we should consider. And with that, I'll pass it over to Michael. Hello everyone, it's Michael here. Thank you, Stephanie, for giving us an insight into the New Zealand system. I know it seems like we highlighted a lot of the negatives of their system, which actually isn't fair at all. But we wanted to balance out how New Zealand is always used to put our system down. The truth is, no system is perfect. It is impossible to cover every medication for everyone, so compromises have to be made somewhere. There will always be pros and cons to any system, and we do think it's unfair to continually compare New Zealand's system with ours based solely on drug prices. Having a fixed budget and deciding which medications to cover off of that budget is not an easy thing to do. New Zealanders have been making that system work for them since 1993 and that is really commendable. Again, I want to thank those New Zealand pharmacists who talked to us and I want to say it's been great to talk to pharmacists from the other side of the world who are just as passionate about the profession as we are and who genuinely enjoy being pharmacists. Now, I wanna talk about how this comparison can impact you as pharmacists and what you can do about it. National Pharmacare is coming and we cannot as healthcare professionals allow the discussion to be based solely on price. National Pharmacare is not a magical cure for medication affordability or accessibility. These are still issues that pharmacists in New Zealand deal with on a daily basis. In fact, if we don't build a good pharmacare program, we will end up with a two-tiered system where higher income patients will have access to a wider variety of treatments which can be specially ordered in, while middle and low income patients are restricted to whichever treatments are currently in the formulary which is determined through backroom deals. I don't think that's what Canadians want. And honestly, if we don't build a good pharmacare program, pharmacists will be the ones that will be burdened with the consequences. So how do we prevent this from happening? Well, we need pharmacists to be involved in the formation of the National Pharmacare Program. We are frontline healthcare professionals who balance evidence-based treatments with accessibility on a daily basis. For example, I think if pharmacists were allowed to help shape the formulary, we might be able to advocate for the inclusion of low-dose aspirin. In New Zealand, Pharmac covers aspirin 100mg for their patients. Low-dose aspirin 
is not covered in Ontario, even though it is inexpensive and a vital component of many cardiovascular treatments. I'm sure every community pharmacist knows at least a few patients who are not taking their aspirin 81 milligrams as often as they should be. Pharmacists need to be involved to advocate for patients and to ensure that the formulary will reflect the latest in evidence-based medicine. National Pharmacare is such a tremendously complex issue that will affect both pharmacists and patients in so many ways. For this episode, we didn't touch on the issue of economic viability or potential transparency issues. We could have devoted an entire podcast episode on how National Pharmacare would increase drug shortages in Canada, or perhaps an episode on how it would threaten the sustainability of community pharmacies. Both of these issues are huge concerns in New Zealand. Or perhaps we could have done an episode on how even New Zealand's own generic drug companies are not able to meet Pharmac's stringent price points and must survive by exporting their products elsewhere. And how National Pharmacare can similarly hurt the pharmaceutical industry in Canada. Currently, there is no pharmacist representative on the Pharmacare Committee. In fact, the healthcare professional representative is a surgeon who may not have as much experience treating the chronic conditions where affordability is a concern. In Ontario, we saw how rushed medication policy can have unintended consequences when the implementation of OHIP Plus caused many patients to lose their drug coverage on items that used to be covered under their private plans. This, of course, could have easily been prevented if pharmacists were consulted. I think one of the key reasons the New Zealand system is able to work is because Pharmac communicates very regularly with its pharmacists. National Pharmacare is a massive undertaking and the government needs to include pharmacists in the discussion. On that note, we encourage all pharmacists to please voice your opinions by Friday, September the 28th as the government is accepting comments on National Pharmacare. Again, since National Pharmacare is such a complex issue, if you don't know what to comment on, just tell the government to please include pharmacists in the process. We will put a link to the website where you can submit your comments in our podcast description. Thanks again to Stephanie for her work on this episode, and thank you for listening. (laughs) 